0: For more details, please check out our website, www.heritagebaptist.co.za. Good morning. We commence a new series today, Advent series, so that's uh, next today and then the next uh, three Lord's Days, Lord willing, and then the 24th will be the last one. So remember, that's our our Christmas service. We won't be meeting here on the 25th. And it's going to be slightly different, so I'm not working through uh, context, uh, consecutive passages going, you know, maybe through Matthew, the first few chapters or something like that. It is more thematic, and the series is is dealing with why was Jesus born? So... Uh, many, many reasons that the Bible gives us, but I've sort of focused in on a few of them. Why did Jesus come? Why was he born? Why, why the incarnation? Uh, and so just a different way of looking at the coming of Christ. And so um, uh, hopefully it'll be a blessing. It's very gospel-focused, so invite friends and family. But again, uh, if you're a believer, don't switch off. Uh, we all need the gospel. We all need to be reminded of this incredible salvation uh, that Christ has won for us. I got many comments after the carol service sermon just, again, to be reminded of the gospel and uh, what Christ has accomplished for us. Everything must flow from that. Otherwise, uh, your motivation is wrong. It's, it's works-based. It's will worship. It's a whole, not other, a whole lot of things but it must be rooted in what Christ has accomplished. So uh, I think there'll be a lot for us to, to, to gain from this series. So today, uh, we're we are answering the question, to find us. Why was Jesus born? To find us. And if you want a, a theme verse, it's Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So there we're told son of man that's the Lord Jesus Christ one of the reasons he came was to seek and to save the lost so I'm sure all of us have had an experience of being lost Um, maybe especially frightening when you're when you're a child maybe you had this type of experience where you were in a shopping center with your mom or your dad or your parents and you're walking along and then suddenly you look up and you look around and they're gone Uh, and you can't see them anywhere suddenly you're panic-stricken you start to uh, come out in a cold sweat where are they Uh, you start running around I remember with uh, some of my own children this happened and um, they were just running with tears flowing down their face Uh, and then when they saw us in the the one aisle you know because you go from aisle to aisle and Providentially, what often happens is you're both missing each other at the same point. Uh, And so it it adds to the anxiety. But it's a terrible feeling, isn't it? That panic that that comes upon one, and then the relief that there they are. Uh, I'm found. I'm okay. I'm safe. Um, So we're all familiar with that experience. Uh, Perhaps more sinister is when you're lost, but you don't realize it. Okay? So I'm sure we've all read those accounts of people that go hiking in the forest or in mountains, and they think they're fine, and uh, then they realize they're not. And sometimes with with catastrophic results, uh, they realize they're actually miles away from where they thought they were. They actually have no cell phone reception. Their phone dies. A storm comes in, and the bodies are only found thawed out next summer. Uh, And so those people didn't realize they were lost until it was too late, or if you drive, and I'm told especially men are, are bad at this because uh, we apparently don't ask for directions. Uh, I'm not like that, let me just say. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I hate making silly mistakes, so I always check. Um, but uh, many of you won't know this, but be, there, were, there was a time before cell phones, and uh, <laughs> there, there was a thing called maps. And uh, I don't know what happened to those companies. It must be terrible. they, they probably all closed down. But uh, anyway, I, I was a rep, so I had to buy maps for every area. You know, I had one for Pretoria, one for Rand, for uh wherever I would go. And then I would say, okay, I need to get here. And then I would go and check, okay, I know these roads. And I would try and memorize the roads. Uh, and the same if you're going on holiday somewhere like that, and then you, you go off on your trip. And you think you're going the right way, Everything seems to be fine, but then there's just a few little things that seem out that I thought the off-ramp was a bit closer. Sh- surely we should have reached it by now. I don't remember that building from last time. Little pointers that just tell you things are not as they should be, and that's really the human condition. The Bible teaches that we are all lost, actually, and it's only the, really the Christians who realize they're lost And panic and cry out to God to have mercy upon them the rest of humanity and maybe you're sitting here and you're in that condition you are actually lost you're just not fully aware of it but in your life there are little pointers little things that tell you not uh, not everything is right with the world something is is wrong something is out of place it can be those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night two o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat wondering, why am I here? What's the point of my existence? Uh, as you get older, there's the midlife crisis where people realize, what have I done with my life? What have I achieved? What's the meaning of all of this? What am I going to leave behind? We've been going through Ecclesiastes in our scripture reading, and really Solomon is, uh, is in that place. That's what he's doing. Uh, you ask these questions, what is, what is the purpose of my life? What will I leave behind? Is there anything to leave behind? What's the point of leaving anything behind? And then you also start to realize as you get older that everyone that you love and everyone that is precious to you, even your pets, die. They get taken away. And everything maybe that's important to you fades and rusts or is stolen. And so there's these little pointers that what is going on? What What is... the Why am I here? Am I lost? What's the purpose? Where am I going? Well, the reality is that mankind is lost. Mankind is ignorant and spiritually blind by nature. Uh, Men and women don't have ultimate meaning, and by meaning we mean purpose or significance for life. And it's not just the Bible that teaches this. We'll see what the Bible says, but uh, many philosophers, many people have, have noted this, they realize this. Uh, Stephen Wright, he says this, I have an existential map. It has, you are here, written all over it. What he means by that is, he ha- his map for life just simply says, you are here. It has no direction for where to go. It doesn't say, this is the way, and this will lead to eternal life. His life is simply, all it does is tell them, you're here. That's your life. You're here. That's your map. Uh, there is no ultimate meaning. There is nothing beyond this. Uh, this. This is a quote from a book called A Malignant Sadness about postmodernism. They say it's arguably the most depressing philosophy. It is difficult to talk about postmodernism because nobody really understands it. It's elusive to the point of being impossible to articulate But what this philosophy basically says is that we've reached an end point in human history like it or not we humans are stuck in a permanent crisis of meaning a dark room from which we can never escape that's where so many people find themselves a crisis of meaning it's just a dark room what is the point why am i here why should i get up every morning Jean-Paul Sartre, he said, man is a useless passion. So what he was saying is, all our, all our emotions and all our drives are just useless because you're just going to die and that's the end of it. What's the point? Albert Camus said, life is absurd. It's absurd. There is no meaning to it. And he says this because he's, he's saying there is, there is, you can live your life exactly as Solomon says, you can build up great wealth, but the rich person dies as the poor person dies, and you leave it all behind to somebody else, and you don't know what they're going to do with it. What's the, what's the meaning? What's the point? Solomon says it's all meaningless, depending on your translation. It's vanity. It's chasing after the wind. Well, maybe you sit in here and you say, look, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Lord Jesus, but I have meaning and purpose in my life. I've created my own meaning. Uh, already that should tell you there's something wrong. You've created your own meaning. Uh, your own meaning will come up against reality uh, and, and will be knocked quite badly. But let's say, I say to you, okay, what's your purpose? What's the purpose of your life? And you say, you're a student, and you say, well, my purpose is to get a degree so I can get a good job. Okay, well, what's the point of that? What's the point of getting a good job? Well, no, I want to get a good job, you say. Well, then I have another purpose. I want to get a good job so I can have financial security and hopefully meet someone, uh, uh, buy a nice house in a nice neighborhood, and have children. Okay, well, what's the point of that? What's the purpose in that? Well, no, I want to have money so I can help the poor and do good to people. What's the point of that? You see, you just keep pushing back. What's the point? You're going to die. Your spouse is going to die. Your children are going to die. Everything is going to pass away. Your house is going to rot and get knocked down, maybe by someone else who doesn't like the design. Uh, and and you, know, you, know, you know how it goes. Uh, look at world history. What is the purpose, then, of your whole life? You can create your own meaning, but uh, it's largely irrelevant. It doesn't satisfy. We need something bigger. Now, you say, this is pretty negative. I thought we were talking about Christmas, uh, (laughs) a time of of joy and happiness. Well, what I'm trying to do is what Francis Schaeffer said, bring people to a line of despair. Okay, that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes does. You have to come to the line of despair where you realize outside of Christ, all of life is meaningless, that you and I need Him to find meaning and purpose in life, to to be found and delivered from our lostness. Well, that's what people in the world say. That's what the clever people in the world say. Even Eusebius Mekaiser, such a a, a clever man who passed away, he, he wrote an article, What is the Meaning of Life? And he just simply says, I don't understand that question. It just shows you you can be really clever and really dumb at the same time. All of us know what that means. What is the meaning of life? That's a question that we all understand. Why am I here? He's trying to get away from it because he denies God's existence. Uh, Not anymore, though. But he did deny God's existence. What does the Bible say? The Bible says we are lost. The Bible says we are ignorant in our natural state. We don't know the way. Uh, We don't know God there is no purpose to our life. There is no direction. It uses very powerful metaphors to describe the situation. It, it tells us that we're, we're in darkness. It says it uses blindness as a metaphor to say that we don't know where we're going. We have no spiritual direction. Uh, we don't know our master. We're alienated. Listen to what Paul writes uh, you don't have to turn to these passages. I'm going to jump around a bit. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, uh, Paul says, And you, he's talking to the believers there about their life B.C., before Christ. He says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in your mind, doing evil deeds. We were alienated from God. What does that mean? We were outsiders. We use that, that term, aliens, foreigners. That's what God is saying about every human being. Uh, we, we're, we're outside of God. We, we're foreigners to Him. Uh, we're lost. Ephesians 4.18 says, They are darkened in their understanding. We don't understand the truth. Alienated, there it is again, from the life of God. Separated from the life of God. Because of what? Because of the ignorance that is in us due to our hardness of heart. So the next thing the Bible says is we're ignorant. Not only are we alienated, we're outsiders. We're foreigners to God and the things of God, to purpose in life, to joy in life. Uh, We're outside of that. But also we're ignorant. We're clueless. We don't understand. Acts 17, verse 30. Uh, We looked at Acts 17 recently. And Paul says, "The times of ignorance, God overlooked." Again, saying to the nations, the Gentile nations, they were in ignorance. Okay? They didn't know what they were doing. All their idolatry, all their temples, all their religious systems, Paul says, that "It was you were doing that in ignorance. You didn't understand what you were doing." Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter one verse fourteen. Again, he's writing to believers. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So again, outside of Christ, we're ignorant. We don't understand. If you're a believer, praise God that that's the condition you were in. You've been given understanding. You've been brought into a relationship with God. You have meaning and purpose to life. As I mentioned earlier, one of the metaphors that is used is that of blindness, to describe our spiritual condition, not knowing why we're here, not knowing where to go, what to do. Matthew chapter 15, uh, the Lord Jesus says, they are blind guides, and if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. It's true in a specific context. He's talking about the religious leaders in Israel, but it's true also of humanity outside of Christ. All the gurus and religious leaders and experts are blind. They don't know the things of God, and they lead everyone else astray, falling into a pit. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 says, In their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, uh, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. don't need to stress when it says the God of this world and it's talking about Satan. It's not as though there's two gods or anything like that. Uh, it is that God has given uh, certain authority to Satan. Uh, he is under God's control. As Martin Luther said, there is a devil, but he's God's devil. Okay? So he's under God's control. But what it's telling us is that unbelievers are blinded. They don't know the things of God. They can't see the things of God. They don't understand the things of God. Now, why are we in this predicament? Why is mankind in this predicament? Why are we lost? Why are we blind? Why are we ignorant? Why do we have no purpose and meaning to to life? Well, the Bible teaches that it's because of sin, because of rebellion against the Lord. And it's right at the beginning of the Bible, all the way back in Genesis. That's where it starts. The scriptures, the Bible is the only book that gives us the, the creation of the world and explains reality. It explains how things are so amazing and so beautiful because we're told that we're made in the image of God. How is it that human beings can create beautiful architecture and art, uh, cinematography, math, science, incredible things? It's because we're made in the image of God. And yet, how is it that mankind can do so many terrible things? It's because of sin. Genesis chapter 3. If you don't know the story, it's where uh, Satan comes as a snake and deceives Eve into eating the fruit of the tree. God said, you can eat the fruit of any tree except this, this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one you're not allowed to touch. The devil always does that. He focuses in on the things where God says, you're not allowed to do this. Instead of obviously pointing us to the richness of what we are allowed to do, uh, they're allowed to eat the fruit of all the trees, except that one tree they're not allowed to eat of. So let me just say, if you're as a believer, Satan's going to do the same thing to you. And it's easy to feel like a victim. It's easy to feel hard done by. It's easy to feel that, why does God withhold these nice things from me? That's a lie from the devil, okay? God gives you all these wonderful things, all the fruit of all the trees, and he just simply says, this you're not allowed to to eat of, because I know you, and I know what's best for you, okay? I was listening to an audio book with my, my daughter, I think it was what's it? Lies Girls Believe, something like that, and um, it, it says there that, you know, teenagers are, uh, they often say, oh, you know, I want, I want freedom, they never say, I want responsibility. They never say, sure, it's amazing that my parents trust me with these responsibilities. Okay? Have you ever thought like that? <laughs> Let me challenge you to change your thinking. Okay? Your parents trusting you or your boss trusting you with responsibility, that's freedom. That's an incredible privilege. Instead, teenagers tend to look at it like this. Why can't I start later? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Instead of seeing uh, how gracious... I'm actually being treated. Okay. Well, unfortunately, you know that Eve, Eve is deceived. She believes the lie. She takes and she eats. And uh, it seems as though Adam is right there. I remember one pastor saying, he said, I always thought Adam was off playing golf. Uh, but actually, when you read it, he's right there next to her. Uh, quite startling, quite disturbing. That he's watching to see what will happen to her. He's already reneged on his commitment to to protect her. Uh, but it seems to be okay; nothing bad happens. And so he eats, and then their eyes are opened, and they're full of shame, and they go and hide themselves. And so, in this act of rebellion, God comes, and there are consequences to their act of rebellion. And Genesis 3, verse 23 says this, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So you see the first thing, what happens to them is they're cast out of paradise, cast out of the presence of God. This, this idyllic utopia, this paradise, this nirvana, this place where they communed with God. every In the cool of the day, God would come and commune with them where there was no shame, no fear. Uh, they, had, they had work that was fulfilling and glorious, without thorns and thistles, without opposition. They're cast out of that because of their rebellion against God. They're exiled from the presence of God, sent out, alienated, foreigners, lost, Verse 24 says, He drove out the man, pushed them out, the man and the woman. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, He placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's where man has been ever since, outside of paradise. We are born into that, outside of paradise, foreigners, lost, east of Eden, And there's no way back until the coming of, of Christ, until the incarnation. The way back into paradise was blocked. You see there? A the cherubim and a flaming sword. Chapter 4, things don't get better. They have children, Cain and Abel, and uh, they, they bring some offerings to the Lord, and uh, Cain's offering is accepted, and uh, sorry, sorry, Abel's offering is, re- is accepted, and Cain's is uh, rejected. And Cain turns on his brother and kills him. And the Lord comes to him and says this in Genesis 4, verse 12, When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. A fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Uh, that's, that's the condition of mankind. We're fugitives. We're on the run from God, actually. We try to run from God. We're wanderers without purpose, without direction. In fact, verse 16 says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. It's always funny, the land of Nod, uh, but Nod uh, means wanderings. Okay, so he said, "You're going to be a wanderer," and he settles. Now, now don't think don't think wandering means he's a nomad, that he's just going to walk around, not really having a, a, a proper home. He actually builds a whole city. Okay. Yet that place is called the land of Nod, the land of wandering. So let me just say something here: this wandering is not geographic. Okay, it doesn't mean oh well. I'm not like that. You know, we've stayed in the same home for 20 years, so uh, we're not wandering. No, you can be settled and still be a wanderer if you're not right with God. It's a spiritual wandering. You're in a desert. You're in a wilderness. You're east of Eden. And again, this is the human condition. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll know that that's true. That's where you find yourself, outside of Christ. Christ. Well, how does, how does Christ change everything? How does the incarnation change everything? Well, our verse is, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Those who are wandering, those who are ignorant, Christ has come. That's, that's what we're remembering at this time of the year, especially the incarnation. Christ comes. God takes upon Himself flesh, enters into mankind's lostness, mankind's ignorance. He comes to us. He comes to find us. We're not able to find him. Again, later on in Genesis, the people try to build a, 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 a tower up to God, Tower of Babel. They said, We'll make a name for ourselves and we will reach up to God. That's religion. Man saying, We'll find God. Uh, And it's all about self, and it's full of pride. They don't find God that ends up in judgment and destruction. But the very next chapter, or right at the end of that chapter, we introduce to a man called Abram. And then in the next chapter, chapter 15, the Lord says to Abram, the Lord comes to Abraham. The Lord finds Abram and says, I will make your name great. That's what Christ does. He comes to us. He comes down to To this planet. He comes in a a human form with all of its weaknesses, with all of its temptations, with all of its trials, and he comes to find those who are are lost. Earlier on in Luke's gospel, that was chapter 19, where we read that verse, it's after he's uh, come to Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus? He was an outcast, he was a tax collector, and Physically, uh, he was rejected. We're told he was very short. Okay? And in the ancient world, and Luke was a doctor, in the ancient world, uh, people liked to look at people's physical shape and features and deduce from that certain spiritual characteristics. And you can see this in Luke's Gospel. That's why Luke will mention uh, people who were sick in certain ways. Uh, and heights and things like that because it was a reality in the greco-roman world they did that so a short man was was frowned upon was seen there's something morally wrong with this person and yet christ comes to him and saves him and he says because the son of man came to seek and to save the the lost a few chapters earlier chapter 15 which we looked at a few weeks ago remember there's three parables there where Jesus finds that which is lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And so Christ has come to find those who are are lost. And here's the key thing. Every human being is lost. But if you don't think you're lost, then you you will never cry out for help. If you think you're fine, remember the Pharisees, They were full of sin, yet they thought they were without sin. They didn't need a Savior. You have to realize that you're lost. You have to humble yourself. That's what they say about men. They're too proud to ask for directions, okay? And so they carry on, and they get more and more lost. That's foolishness. That's just dumb. Don't be proud. Cry out for help. I am lost. I do. I do wake up in the middle of the night. I do realize I don't have meaning and purpose. I do have those moments where I realize, what's the point of everything? Why am I here? Why continue with life? Cry out to the Lord for help. Say, Lord, save me. You, you said you came to seek and save those who are lost. I am lost. Help me. What does he do? He deals with our ignorance, our foolishness, our dumbness. We don't know the things of God. We think we are so clever. The Bible is clear. We're ignorant. We're foolish about the things that truly matter. Well, you know the Christmas account, the nativity, and all over South Africa probably there's little nativity scenes being put up in in homes, in lounges. We have one now, my daughter put up. Uh, And what do you see? You see the little baby, you see Mary and Joseph, you see the animals, you see some shepherds, and then you see three wise men Okay, it's all factually wrong. Uh, (laughs) The timeline is wrong. The wise men come when Jesus is older. Um, We don't know if there were three wise men. We know there were three gifts. Uh, But uh, these wise men, and remarkably, where do they come from? The east. Okay, remember? Cast out, east of Eden. But they come from the east. God is drawing. He's seeking and saving those who are lost. And they're the wise men. They're the ones who realize who this... This baby is. Everyone else that should have doesn't. And they come and they bring these three gifts gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And throughout church history, they've seen these gifts as pointing to the three offices of Christ prophet, priest, and king. So the main three offices in the Old Testament you get prophets, you get priests, you got kings. And theologians have seen in these three gifts uh, sort of a picture of three gifts pointing to the three offices. So myrrh pointing to him as a prophet, frankincense, of course, incense, pointing to him as a priest, and gold as a king. Uh, reformed theologian Francis Turreton, in the 1600s, he said this, The threefold misery of men introduced by sin, he yeah, has the threefold misery that sin brings about, Ignorance, guilt, and tyranny and bondage by sin required this conjunction of a threefold office. So he's saying, because of our sin, we have become ignorant, we have become guilty, and we've become enslaved to to sin. We need a Savior who can deal with all of those. Okay. He says, Ignorance is healed by the prophetic, guilt by the priestly, the tyranny and corruption of sin by the kingly office. Prophetic light scatters the darkness of error. I won't go into the rest because we're, what we're focusing on today is Christ as our prophet who deals with our ignorance. That's what a prophet would do, bring the Word of God. And Christ is the prophet par excellence. He is the capital P prophet. He is the prophet that was prophesied about, greater than Moses. In fact, uh, you know that they, they, they were looking for that prophet. They even come to John the Baptist and they say, are you the prophet? And he says, no. Jesus Christ is the prophet, the final prophet, the ultimate prophet. The one who comes and brings, not just brings the truth, but is the truth. John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the... Truth. He is the truth who deals with our ignorance. That's what we need, truth. Everywhere else you'll get lies, but he is the truth who deals with our ignorance. How does myrrh point to that? Well, uh, it is a strange gift to give to a child, myrrh, uh, because uh, it was used to embalm bodies. So it is a little bit strange to give myrrh, to give, uh, uh, because it was commonly used when people die. But you see the prophetic there, because Christ came to, to die. His body was embalmed with myrrh. It was also used in anointing oil, and so prophets were also frequently anointed for their, their ministry. And so Christ deals with our ignorance. Don't be satisfied with ignorance. I know it's popular now to be ignorant, Uh, People just say things. Oh, we can't know. We we just don't know, Uh, and they're happy to leave it there. That's the postmodern world view. Oh, we don't know. The moment you start talking, have you have you had that experience when you start talking about the things of the Lord? People are just, well, we don't know, and they try and cut you off. Well, they're very dogmatic. How come they know we don't know? Okay, Uh, (laughs) they seem to know a lot. (laughs) Don't settle for that. Seek. What's the promise? Seek and you will find. Cry out to him, knock, and it will be open to you. Don't leave your ignorant. Don't leave your, I don't know. Cry out to him in your ignorance. Say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Don't be like Pilate who said to Jesus, what is truth? People have said he's the first postmodernist, okay? 2,000 years ago. There's nothing new under the sun except for the gospel, the new covenant. That's the only new thing that has changed everything. You and I need a prophet to bring us out of our ignorance. And he is the prophet. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light of the world. Comes to us in our darkness. What about purpose and meaning to life? Well, the Bible is full of direction that we are made to glorify God. You and I have a glorious purpose and meaning to our lives. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do everything to the glory of God, even the most most mundane act. Notice what he says, whether you eat or drink. Just things that every human being does regularly, something we can just take for granted, even that, due to the glory of God. We are created for something far greater, to glorify God. We are created for good works. Paul says that in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Christians should never ask the question, why am I here? We know why we're here. We're created to glorify God and to do the good works He has prepared for us to do. Whatever sphere you're in, find how you can do good works. Find how you can glorify God in that sphere. How you can serve Him in the local church. How you can use your gifts in the local church. How you can reach out to friends and colleagues at work and do good to them. And uh, every sphere of of life how can i glorify god in this sphere of life how can i glorify god in the season of my life because that's another thing it's changing isn't that right whether if you're if you're a young child that's a season of life it's not going to continue but that that season you can glorify god in specific ways with your friends you spend a lot of time with friends what do you talk about you try and talk about the things of the lord do you ever talk about the sermon afterwards try and do that with your friends don't think oh well i'll do that when i'm older start doing it now okay that's what the a best friend is someone who points you to jesus okay when you get older and your peer group changes and then you're at university maybe if you if if that's where, where you decide to go The Lord opens that door at college or go straight into the workplace, whatever it is that the Lord calls you to. But let me just say, at university, what wonderful opportunities, because people are very, you know, you'll find pseudo-intellectuals, okay? Um, People think they know it all, okay? Uh, That they've they've made it, you know? They've got all the answers, they have opinions on everything. Um, We'll start to just chip away at that and things like this. Why, why, why are you on earth? What's the purpose of life? Etc. Etc. As you get older, again, th- different seasons of life. Seek to do good. Seek to glorify God. And the believer has eternal life okay, in the presence of God. What about our alienation? How does the Lord Jesus Christ deal with that? How does He remove that? How does He bring us back into the presence of God? Well the Lord Jesus experiences the alienation in our place. This is, this is the good news. He experiences it in his life, and then, of course, at the cross. Mark chapter one verse 12 says, "This is after Jesus' baptism. The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, immediately drove him out into the wilderness, into the desert don't think Melville copies or whatever your view of the wilderness is, it's the desert, okay? It's proper wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals. And so he's sent out, driven out. Luke Mark is the only one who uses a strong term. okay? They say it's always bad to use Greek in a sermon, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay. The Greek word here is ekbalo, okay? And I remember it because when you, when you, at seminary, you have to learn Greek and Hebrew. You have to learn a whole lot of vocab. And I remember ekbalo because I had a mnemonic, a, a memory aid, because it's got ball in the middle, B-A-L-L, throw a ball. And I, that's how I remembered ekbalo. It means to throw out, okay? Like you throw a ball. He was driven out. He's cast out. He's thrown out into the wilderness, and then this morning, because I thought that's the same, remember if you were listening, Genesis, remember early on, Genesis chapter 4, what does it say? Genesis 3, they were driven out of the garden. And I went and looked at the Greek translation, the Septuagint of the Hebrew Old Testament. It's the same word, Ekbala. They were thrown out of the garden. And Christ is thrown out into the wilderness by God. Did you see that? It's the Holy Spirit who does it. He's cast out into the wilderness with the animals, alienated, rejected. He never sinned. Perfect. Thrown out into the wilderness, experiencing our alienation. And of course, on the cross, perfectly, perfectly experiencing alienation from God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not poetry. It's not just, oh, that's how he was feeling. That's exactly what was happening. He was forsaken by, by God the Father in His humanity. Alone, alienated, rejected. So He cries out, Why have you forsaken Me? Even feeling that His life was without meaning. Did you know that Jesus ever experienced that? Isaiah 49, one of the servant songs, which Gives us an insight into the emotional life of Jesus Christ. Verse 4. This is what Jesus says. I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and vanity. The Hebrew word is Havel, it's the same word that Ecclesiastes uses. My life has been a waste. See at the end of his life. Who was there? Who stood with him? Nobody. We heard about Peter. Peter forsook him, said, I'll never leave you. He left him. They all ran away. The most powerful, amazing preacher ever at the end of his life, the most loving, kind, faithful, loyal person ever. Nobody stands with him. Do you think it didn't affect Jesus emotionally? think he was a robot? He was fully human. Felt, what's the point of all of this? And so the Lord Jesus, how does he bring us back in? He experiences it In our place, he is alienated; he is rejected. Without sin, so that we can be accepted and brought in, brought home. That's a longing in every human heart to be home. I love that in in the African culture, there's like a family home, okay? Place where where family goes is you know ideally a happy family. But where the family can go at any time, you lose your home. There's a place, okay? It's beautiful. It's a that's a that's a little pointer to 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 the gospel. Where we ultimately are home with our heavenly Father, we have access to to Him. We are in His presence. I close with a. Illustration is a TV series called Fargo. Uh, Season two, there's a a scene where there's a lady called Betsy. She's dying of cancer in the hospital at the end of her life. Um, And there's a teenage girl called Noreen. uh, And she says to her, she she says, Camus, remember I quoted him earlier, the, the philosopher, French philosopher. He says, This is what she says to Betsy who's dying. She says, Camus says knowing we're going to die makes life absurd. So she's saying to her, you know, knowing that we're going to die makes life absurd. It's all a joke. It's all meaningless. It's useless. Betsy responds, she says, nobody with any sense would say something that foolish. We're put on this earth to do a job, and each of us gets the time we get to do it. And when this life is over and you stand in front of the Lord, well, you try telling him it was all some Frenchman's joke. Okay. Well, who are you going to listen to? The gurus, the intellectuals that, that don't even understand the question, what is the meaning of life? We well, you're going to listen to Christ, who came to seek and save the lost. Humble yourself. Come to him. Receive purpose and meaning be welcomed home and for us who know the lord by his grace he found us what an amazing savior and what privileges we have that we can wake up in the morning and i know why i'm here i have work to do and by god's grace he's appointed good works for me to do and i'm going to go and do it yeah sometimes you're like lord i don't know should i take this job or this job marry this person or this person yeah that's not given to us But in every situation, you can serve the Lord and you were made to do good works and God didn't make a mistake. And He was alienated. It was so powerful for me this morning. He was alienated. He was thrown out. So we can be embraced and brought in. Amen. Let's let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank You so much. For the gospel, we thank you so much for sending your son to seek and save the lost. We were all without hope, Lord, lost, ignorant, alienated. Having no meaning, no direction, no significance to life. I thank you for finding us, Lord. Thank you for humbling yourself, Lord Jesus, becoming a human being. Humbling yourself to a shameful death on a cross, a cursed death. Thank you that you were cast out so that we might be brought in. We do cry out to you, Lord, if there are any who, by your grace, realize this morning that they are lost, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord, that they would cry out. We thank you for the promise that if anyone seeks. If anyone cries out to you, you will answer, you will save. And so please do this and help us as your children just to rejoice in this glorious gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. able to be stand with me and